Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. In 2002, a lot of ska bands were broken up or moving away from the genre. New Jersey band Hub City Stompers were just starting. They were and continue to be a very important ska band, especially during the lean 2000s. Today, we bring on saxophonist and vocalist Jenny Whiskey, who started playing ska in the 90s with a group called Professor Plum. She walks us through her career with Professor Plum, Hub City Stompers, and later projects like Rude Boy George and Rude Girl Review, which was the talk of the ska community this past Supernova Festival. It wasn't until I started actually seeing the footage coming out of Supernova Ska Fest that I really was like feeling the FOMO. Yeah. And specifically with the Rude Girl Review footage. Yeah, that looked like so amazing to me. I remember the the first couple times I heard about it, I kind of didn't really understand what was happening. And then when I actually saw all the people involved, I was like, oh, wow, this is really impressive. Yeah. I have considered going, It's a, that's a commitment to, to go from California all the way to the East Coast to go to a festival. I've considered it, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I might need to do that in the near future. I'll go with you. All righty. It's a date. <laughs> we can hold hands. <laughs> supernova last year there was um there was one thing that i feel like everyone was talking about you know what i'm referring to <laughs> i'm assuming you're referring to rude girl review yeah i am i i wasn't able to go because i live out in california and just couldn't wasn't feasible rude girl review is the thing i heard the most of and the most people the, the thing that everyone was raving about well i'm really glad that people took to it as much as uh as we had as i had hoped they would um and ever since then We've just had nothing but kind words from everyone. So I'm really excited uh, that it worked out the way it did. How was it all organized? So um, rewind back to sometime around like Supernova 2018, I want to say. And me and uh, Lady Hatchet from the Scotch Bonnets were 
I don't know whose idea it was, but we were kind of kicking around like we should do like an all girl band just for Supernova from all the people who play Supernova, whatever. I, I don't know. We were probably drunk, but we were like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And I think we like we might have messaged a couple times about it right after. And then we just kind of forgot about it and carried on living our lives. The end. Um, so fast forward to 2020, I think August or July, I did an interview with Checkered Cast podcast. Um and they said, who would you like to collaborate with? And I was like, oh, there was this thing uh, that me and Lady Hatchet talked about years ago, but I don't know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I just brought it up kind of, you know, to say I'd love to work with her, um, but that seems like it's a lot of work. And it's very hard. Hmm. So um, Tara from Checkered Cast is um, very tenacious and will not once she gets um an idea of a project in her head she just will not let it die and every time another you know they they interview all women from the ska scene so anytime they had a band on like the girls from bocat or whatever they'd say oh you want to be in this supernova all-star group jenny brought up we're gonna do it we're gonna do it and she kept bringing it up and then finally i think there was a an an online like zoom group bake-off or whatever like all the girl a bunch of girls got together um from like a ska group and did a zoom baking day and i guess tara was on there and she brought it up to lady hatchet and said hey you should do this you should do this and i think they all kind of cajoled her and convinced her that this should happen so she reached out to me we talked it out and then from there we added um we invited and obviously tara who lit the fire under our butts to get it going we had her be in our little core organizing group and then we reached out to Lindsay from 13 towers in the skluts um because she's got a lot of great um vocal coordinating skills um and i i had learned that from um doing uh seeing her work with this group called the npcs which was on it was a facebook group where it was a collective of musicians and we would all add like parts to songs did you happen to see it happened in 2020 there was um a cover of superman by oh, yeah. goldfinger <laughs> yeah that was from this group called the npcs it originated on facebook so i saw a lot of her work in doing um you know choral stuff and musical arrangements and i was like oh she's like she's got a great voice um she could help with all the vocals we're gonna have her and then from there the four of us just kind of had a couple of Zoom meetings and and worked it out from there. We got a spreadsheet of all the all the women and all the bands that were going to be playing at Supernova, and we literally just were like, uh, "Ask them all, ask them all, and see who says yes." When when was this happening? This sort of beginning of like legit organizing of it. The legit organizing started. I want to say it was either December of 2020 or January of 2021. Um, it was it was very loose, like it was very like fresh still, but that's about when it started. So I know that we ended we ended up with sixteen people. Oh yeah! Wow, <laughs> which actually <laughs> only slightly bigger than some ska bands. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, in the in the nineties, that's like average. If you're not packing yeah, yeah. up the stage with the entire school band, I mean, are you even playing ska? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. At what point did you have the 16-person lineup? Oh, uh, I want to say we started reaching out to people in April. Um, April of, of 2021, we started kind of messaging people just to get a feel on um, who, you know, would be interested. And, um, you know, we had we did have to ask a couple of people who weren't already going to be performing at the show because we had, you know, necessary gaps to fill in. Um 
And then we ended up asking a couple people who we knew were just going to be attending, but we love their work. So we were like, uh, you're going to be there anyway. What do you say? So I would say we, we got everybody's answers back relatively quickly. So I would say April is when, is when we had the whole crew uh, put together. You posted, uh, you posted this video um, right before Supernova that was like, hey, you know, this is our one and only rehearsal. You just kind of just pan the room just to kind of see everybody in the same room. So, so there was one, just one in-person re- rehearsal then? There were two. Okay. So we, we were able to get all the people based on the East Coast to a New Jersey practice. Um, and that was like 11 people. But then as a full band, there was only one practice. And it was like three hours, I think. And it was the day before Supernova. Wow. That's great. That's, that's the way to do it. <laughs> I love it. And you guys sounded great. I mean. Thank you. Yeah, you didn't need like, you know copious you know rehearsals everybody there is all um you know they they're all playing in their own bands so everybody's Mm -hmm. you know fresh and knows what to do so being able to just slot everybody in and do a do a three-hour practice that's the way to do it that's great yeah i mean i'm i'm not gonna lie like it was stressful getting the first practice together in new jersey and um you know i i knew ever i know everybody in this group has the chops. I know everyone can handle it. I know everyone knows how to do their job, but um, there's always that like nerve, you know, it's like, is this going to come together? And then when, when we were all setting up, everyone just started kind of jamming out on the, the, the riff for the, the giant ska medley we did towards the end. And uh, like the 54, 46 um, and, you know, all the other Scott tunes medley. And they just started jamming out and everyone's putting their instruments together and jumping in. And I'm like, this is fucking great. Like <laughs> it just I instantly was just relieved, excited. It was amazing. Um, I was just I couldn't have been happier with how it, it started to come together in person, because obviously we were spending so much time talking about it and organizing it that getting to actually hear it in person even though it wasn't the whole group was really like exhilarating and also a relief can you run down the whole list of musicians and and what bands they were from okay um oh god i hope i don't forget anybody (laughs) you know why because i run the social media and i i feel like i always forget to tag somebody and then i gotta go through um so me, <laughs> Jenny Whiskey, uh, Hub City Stompers and Rude Boy George, Lady Hatchet from the Scotch Bonnets and the Players Band, Jade Tremba also from the Scotch Bonnets. She also has a lot of solo work that's incredible. Um, Tiffany, who is also from the Scotch Bonnets on tenor sax. Um, the drummer is Kat from the New York City ska band, The Pandemics. Uh, we had two keyboard players, Katie from Bowcat and Allie from Stop the Presses. And then we had uh, a trombone player is Emily from the Squats. Um, I'm trying to get through all the instrumentalists first. <laughs> and then we had several singers. We had Dunia from Dubistry. Um, and we have Tara from Half Past Two. We had Tara from Checkered Cast with us on stage. Um, we had Brittany from Catbite. We had, oh God, Marsha uh, from Bowcat. Am I getting everybody? I'm not counting. I think there's three more. Okay, Lindsay from 13 Towers is also one of our organizers. And 
who am I forgetting? There's so many. <laughs> Sixteen's a lot. And yeah, and everybody got a song too, which like oh Trisha from uh, some ska band, and Danny Raddick from the Soul Raddicks. And is that everybody? We got Brittany, we got Danny, Dania, Jade, me, Kat, Katie, Tara, Lady Hatchet, Marcia. That's everybody. Okay. <laughs> and everybody got a song? Uh, Yeah, all the vocalists got to have a feature part, pretty much. And whether it be the medley or um, one of the main tunes. But um, anybody who sang uh, really did get to sing, you know, at least uh, at least a little bit which was great. Incredible. What was the process of um, creating the set list and uh, deciding on who sang what? Well, the set list was, I, we came up with that pretty early because we knew that it would be impossible to do all originals because there just was not enough time. Uh, so we figured I, ideally we wanted to have at least two and luckily um, Jade Tremba and Lady Hatchet had already had this great tune called Lioness so they had that like in like on deck ready to go. And then I already had Unruly Ways mostly finished. And I, I had no idea what I was going to do with it. But I was like, well, I might as well use this. I work good on a deadline. So we had that already. And then we just decided to do reworked covers of like non-ska songs turned ska. Because I do that all the time anyway in Rude Boy George. And I figured it'd be fun um, to get some like feminist classics in there and then we threw in some straight covers just to kind of round everything out and give people something to sing along to mm -hmm. and then the well the medley was just essentially we had a really long set time initially when we were invited to you know given the go-ahead to play and we were afraid we weren't gonna have enough material and i was like look we got <laughs> me and me and lady hatchet were like look there's so many ska songs with the same chord progressions we'll just do a mega medley and it'll last like 12 minutes <laughs> how long of a set did they give you i can't, i want to say they gave us like um like a full hour and then it ended up being 50 minutes okay so it ended up working out perfectly we ended up cutting a little bit of the medley there was more if you can believe it there were like <laughs> two more songs in there but we cut it um, just because at practice we accidentally cut it and we were like, that actually works better. We'll just do that. Um, but yeah, so we, we came up with, we all kind of wrapped uh, the four of us about what, like, what are our like feminist classics? Would they translate into ska? And then we, between me and Lady Hatchet, we kind of took turns doing the arrangements and, um, like sending each other demos, um, to kind of round things out and then we kind of put them up in a drive for everybody to learn um some of the demos were straight up done on my phone in garage band with no real instruments and me singing into my uh earbuds <laughs> and yeah so that's and then we put together the set list based on after we had our one practice with all the east coasters we were kind of seeing we originally had something laid out in our heads like okay this is going to be the set list then when we played respect and added like this gospel church ending it just ended so well we were like there's no way we can't close with this so that that whole practice basically dictated the you know how the set list was going to be in the order because of the feel it was totally different than what we envisioned in our heads from the demos than what actually kind of came out in person so that was really interesting to see what were some of the songs the the, the non-ska songs that you covered besides respect we did uh, Express Yourself, Madonna. We did Good as Hell by Lizzo. Um, we did Never Gonna Get It by En Vogue. Uh, and 
was that it? I feel like there's one more. Oh, um, Love is a Battlefield, which was a last minute edition. Um, nice. Because we were realizing that we might not have enough songs. And um, Dania was like, oh, I've always had an idea to do Love is a Battlefield. And she sent me a little demo that she did um, real quick. And I was like, all right, let me flesh this out. And that was a last minute edition that like I fleshed out based on her idea. And it, and it really came out great. So when you go on stage, you guys are getting ready to start. Mm-hmm. Were you, were you still nervous that you didn't know if people were going to, you know, take a liking to it or not? Um, I was pretty terrified only for the, <laughs> fa- I, for the fact that like people were lining up by the stage pretty early on. Like the crowd was starting to fill up well before we were ready to play. Um, and I just, I just really wanted it to go well because we spent so much time like building this up and like creating the excitement for it and, and building the excitement up even for ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was, um, I'm not the type of person who gets stage fright. I kind of thrive in front of an audience. It's kind of my thing. Uh, so I was, re- I was very, very nervous because in a situation like that, um, me alone, I have very little control over what's going to happen on that stage, you know? with, with 15 other people around me. And it's a different, um, it's a different level of trust when you are playing with a band for almost 20 years. Like I've been playing with HCS. Um, I don't have to worry, you know, about anybody on stage with me. And I knew that like all the girls were amazing and, and had it down. Um, and we, and our practice went well, but still you just, you know, you never know. And it was kind of like, it's all riding on this. It all led up to this. Did it feel like it, like right away it was good or did it feel like it took a few songs before you felt like, okay, I think this is going to be okay? I, I felt like it took us a couple to really get into that stride. The audience, I don't think detected it, which is fantastic. And I probably shouldn't even say anything. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, it was great from the beginning. No, it was, <laughs> we always had that great chemistry, but I feel that it really like landed um, after like the first two songs. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely done shows, you know, back in the day where, you know, I'm nervous and we probably sound fine right up front. But in my head, once we've gotten through two or three songs and nothing's gone wrong, then in my Mm -hmm. head, it's like, okay, things are okay. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So then as far as organizing it again, if somebody else was going to attempt to do something like this, what's the (laughs) one thing you would you would tell them that you learned from doing this? Oh my God. Well, as much as I loved like working with 16 women and how epic that was, I think if we ever do this, well, we're going to try and do this again, but we're not going to be doing, um, I don't think we'll be doing 16. That's, it's, it's a lot of people to manage. And it was, um, it was difficult to get, to make sure that everybody felt like they were contributing and that they were going to be heard and featured. And, um, it was a, it was a lot. So I would say maybe don't, do 16 i'm glad we did it i'm glad we started off with a bang yeah i don't know that i would do 16 again but um i would say yeah and then also just um oh god if i had to advise someone else to do this just uh everyone needs to whoever's doing the organizing you need to have you know a couple people and everyone needs a specific job and that took a little bit of finesse and um we're still we're still dealing with that now of like whose job is it for this whose job is it for that? Who can handle this? You know, cause, um, it can be a little bit scattered when you're dealing with that many personalities and, um, and, and so much to do. Um, so give everyone a job, you know, 
Yeah. And realize too that that as time goes by and as your needs change, those jobs are going to change too, you know? Mm -hmm. So just be prepared for that. I love that a bit from Checker Cast and just a little bit of like perseverance and stubbornness created this whole thing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's totally amazing. <laughs> and you even like put out, you released those two original songs as recordings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. And that was released on the day of Supernova? Yeah, we released those two. Um, I think we did, a, we did a release where you could just get the download code at Supernova, like on a business uh -huh. card on Bandcamp. And then after the weekend was over, we released them onto like Amazon and it was on Spotify. Um where where else apple all the places and as of late they're going to be at well that we just got the the seven inch from jump up oh, um is available nice. that just came out awesome i thought it was a really smart move to get everybody to just commit to wearing black and white Mm-hmm. and and not not trying to dictate it too much because like everybody brought their own style to it oh yeah but like how how did how did you guys go about or gals go about organizing that well, we, we know we wanted to look cohesive and we did talk about it with having that many people on stage. And in my other band, uh, Rude Boy George, we actually do already do a black and white dress code. Mm -hmm. um, so and it just looks so sharp on stage. And uh, we just thought it would be really unifying and make make us look polished. So um, initially, like I know a couple of the girls were like, oh, maybe we do some checkers. Maybe we do this. And it was at the end of the day, it was like, what's accessible? what's affordable like what does everybody have black and white like i don't want people to have to go out and buy something i don't want people to go out and spend money they're already giving us their time like and it's got to be we all decided it was like black and white it's accessible it looks clean and then marcia from bocat made us all these like red flowers i don't know if you notice in the pictures and stuff in the videos everybody has a red flower on somewhere either mm. on their shirt or in their hair she made them all for us so we all had this little red flower it was adorable that's awesome we'll be right back after this bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024 these are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about your history um, with ska. When did you first get into ska, and like, kind of what were the bands that drew you in 
Um, I was probably like 13, yeah, thir- 13 years old or so. And um, it was when like Green Day and The Offspring were very, very popular and uh, ska punk was kind of up and coming on the radio again. So I think the first one of like some of the first ska bands I ever heard like via the avenue of uh, punk was probably like Real Big Fish and Less Than Jake. Like that was uh, that was the beginning. And um, I also I used to go to school with uh, the, the guy who was in uh, Catch-22 and um, yeah, I remember him saying when he first started playing with them, oh, I just started playing with this band. Come see me. And, you know, his parents like took me to the show when I was like 13 or 14. And um, so, yeah, that was even like an early ska band that I was into. Yeah. So you almost played in that band, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> but he, me and Kevin were friends and we went to um, homecoming together as friends. And uh, he was like, you know, they need a sax player. And I was I think I would. Yeah, I was like 14. And I was like, Mom, they asked me to play in this band. She was like, no, it's all boys. You can't do it. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, and then I ended up playing in a band anyway when I was 14. Um, you know, it, but she was on vacation and my uncle was looking after me and he didn't really care what, uh, what I got up to <laughs> as long as I stayed out of his way. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to band practice. Bye. And then, uh, I ended up in another band, you know, but it turned out my mom thought that was okay. Cause there was a girl in that band and that band. What was the name of that band? Um, professor plum. Oh, how long did you last in professor plum? I think I was in that band until I was about 20 years old. Yeah. So like six seven years or so um it I, yeah we ended up right around 9 11 not because of that or anything it's just that was just the timing um yeah so a pretty good run for a bunch of high school kids what was uh, how would you describe uh, professor plum in the beginning i would say it was like pretty two-tone influenced um and then as we progressed we ended up getting a different singer and um our bass player ended up kind of um taking like the more like managerial position of like running things and we kind of started leaning a little bit more towards there was more ska punk elements but we were never like a full-on ska punk band so i'm not really sure um it was eclectic there was definitely some swing influences because that was the time period when like swing came back and like big bad voodoo daddy was like the thing uh and like cherry pop and daddies had that swing album so um we definitely had uh, scratch that I had swing influences. <laughs> was- <laughs> oh, you were the one campaigning for the, for swing songs? Yeah, I was really into it because I, I love, still to this day, I love to dance. So um, when swing came back and everyone was like, well, it's not punk rock. Like, that's what our parents did. I was like, I love it. Like, give it to me. I was so into it. Plus, I'm a horn player, man. Like, those swing bands have such great horn lines and horn players. It's, oh, it's just awesome. So I was super into that. And there's definitely, like, two or three songs where you can hear that, like, neo swing kind of influence for sure did you guys ever open up for any um bands of prominence oh yeah um we opened up for laurel aitken um the scatolites we opened up for hmm did we ever i'm sure we've played with like mephiscopheles and like inspector seven many times in the scoidats which like it sounds funny to say that now because i'm in a band with people from inspector seven but at the time in the 90s it was kind of a big deal in high school to be opening for them um trying to think we i mean we've opened for king django a bajillion times too but i mean he was you know he's new jerseyan um so we always ended up on a lot of the same bills but yeah we got we got to open for a good number of pretty big uh prominent ska acts in the 90s and early 2000s 
So back in the, back in the nineties, um, obviously, you know, people, people know catch 22 was a big deal in New Jersey, but, mm-hmm. um, the inspector seven also was a big deal uh, in New Jersey as well. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. And I'm from the, near the Brunswick. So I've, I'm, I've seen inspector seven has been like my home base band, you know, growing up since forever. Um, and I remember when I got to play with them, when I, we got to open for them at a firehouse show, because in the 90s, that's what you did. You played many, many firehouse shows and like Elks Lodges. It was the, it was all the rage. Um, and I remember saying on like AIM or something to some like, I don't know, like Scott Dork in like Michigan that I was chatting with who could have been like a 50 year old man for all I know. <laughs> you remember AIM back then. You didn't know anything. Yep. So um, yeah, so I was like, oh, my band's going to open for Inspector 7. He's like, no, they're like a big band. And he was just so impressed. <laughs> <laughs> What's the connection between Inspector 7 and Skoidets? Because I, I remember playing with them, but I don't remember ever playing with only one of those bands. It was always together. Well, Skoidets are from um, Montana originally, and then I think they moved over to Jersey at some point and obviously like got along famously with Inspector 7, and they did write they did write a song together, um, Night of the Droogs, and they've toured together a bunch of times. There's actually some recordings of um, of Justin from the Skoidats singing Chatterbox when it was an Inspector 7 song um, back then. Oh, wow. So yeah, they, they always played together, and, and they were, you know, good friends. I mean, they're still good friends, so. Yeah. So there's there's just a ton of overlap there. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, because you know we had like a little like Skoidats meld HCS set at Supernova. So so Hub City Stompers. Um, mm-hmm. This begins in 2002, and so this kind of comes in the face of your bands no more. Uh, Inspector Seven has kind of they're on hiatus, maybe, or they're broken up at that point. Yeah, they're kind of like they come and go for like special gigs like once or twice a year, but they're not really a functioning band. Okay. Oh, and I guess for for people outside of the area, Hub City, that's a that's a term that just means that's just another name for New Brunswick, right? Yep, New Brunswick, New Jersey. Gotcha. So tell me about the formation of this band. Uh so Hub City Stompers formed in yeah, 2002. I was not a part of the original lineup. Um Scooch, who is the uh who's this original sax player from inspector seven was in it as well as um, Dustin. And I can't remember who played what, because I know Adam X was in the band, but he plays like five instruments. So I don't remember what he played. I think he played drums. Anyway, they started in 2002 because uh, inspector seven wasn't really a thing. And uh, Travis was not ready for it to end. And he called it hub city stompers based on um, the song hub city stomp uh, stompers, which was an inspector seven song. And uh, they started, I remember I first saw them in New Brunswick. They played Rutgers campus with Streetlight Manifesto. And um, I I ran into Travis there and he was like, oh, you know, a sax player. And I was like, you got like two sax players. You don't need any more. But I, I mean, I'm not doing it. But I was like, I'm not doing anything right now. It was like there was like a two year span where I wasn't in any bands in my adult life, you know, two years. And uh, it, that was then. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And then that is when also I ran into um, Tommy Infamous, who was the lead singer of Bombtown. And he said, oh, I have a band. You know, we need a sax player. We don't have any horns. And I ended up joining that band first. Um, But yeah, they started in 2002. And then a couple years later, uh, they kind of, Travis kind of had a a little meeting with the band where he said, you know, I want to start touring. I want to start playing more. I want to travel. 
And a lot of the guys were like, you know, I'm not really willing to do that with their home lives and work. Uh, So a lot of people left the band. There was like a mass exodus where all the horn players left and uh, the bass player, guitar player, like everybody left because they were just not up for trying to tour. And that's when I ended up coming in originally as a as a sit in. I was not supposed to be a permanent member. Hmm. 18 years later or something. But anyway, yeah. So it was me and um, Maddie Glock on guitar, Bob, uh, Reggae Bob, who still plays bass for the band. He came on that time. So, yeah, and I've been playing with them ever since. It was supposed to be temporary because the singer from my other band was in the military and he was in Iraq. Um, So obviously we weren't we weren't playing. And um, I was like, all right, I'll just play with this. But I just never left. (laughs) That's, That's what happened. So I want to back up just a little bit. So you start playing in Professor Plum when you're 14. Yeah, around 14. And and then you do that all the way up until you're 20. And then you have a, a two-year gap where, with no band. And are yeah. you, do you jam with anybody? Or what's that period of your life like where you're not stuck in the band life? Uh, Well, I mean, I was always trying to play. But at that point, you know, Scott, it didn't like die, but it wasn't very vibrant anymore. And this is really funny, actually, because I tried to join. There were two bands that I tried to join. One needed a touring sax player um, down south for like a south tour. And I can't remember what it was. I couldn't get the time off work. So that wasn't feasible. (laughs) But then there was a, a New York City band called tri-state conspiracy that was um they had like i think you could find like band ads on the village voice online or something back then mm-hmm. and um i emailed them and i was like oh i'm a horn player like i can send you at my works um i live walking distance to a train station to new york city i'm 45 minutes away whenever you want me i'm ready i'm ready to go and they were like oh sorry we're only taking people who live in the city right now and i was like whoa okay <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then like we ended up playing with them with HCS years later, and um, the guitar player, who was a re- really nice guy, was like, "Oh, I love you guys," and I was like, "I tried to be in your band years ago, and y'all wouldn't have me." <laughs> but yeah, that um, so I I did try to be in ska bands. At that point, I was like, "Let me just, I got to try something new." So I was singing a lot. I was learning to play guitar because I had been playing with guitar on and off since I was like. 13. Mm-hmm. I was never any good at it, but um I tried um I auditioned for a couple of girl bands, but they were all cover bands and they all played like the same two terrible covers, um which one of which was um Celebrity Skin by Hole and then the other was <laughs> was that like that lit song I understand that terrible Yes. Yeah. Yes. Why everyone wanted to cover that I don't understand, but that was the thing. Oh, I can tell and you then, why. Because um, it's a good song by a terrible band. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, yeah it's, an, it's an earworm. I'll give you totally. That so, totally. but like, yeah. So I had to learn like those songs on like guitar and um and singing, and I just I don't know no, nothing ever stuck. I played drums for a hot minute in a couple of like punk bands and like weird hipster indie bands. We played like New Brunswick Basements and sometimes we played like the Court Tavern. So I was playing. Okay. It just wasn't, it was, it wasn't anything that stuck or that went anywhere. I was, you know, I was kind of just experimenting and tinkering and doing whatever, because at the time, you know, I lived with a bass player who was my boyfriend. I lived with a drummer who let me use his kit. Um, You know, I was living in New Brunswick where there's like, I was surrounded by musicians. So, you know, I just kind of did whatever. When you started playing with uh, Hub City Stompers, um, I know at some point, pretty early, I think, um, they start working with Megalith. Mm-hmm. That's a label that Bucket started 
kind of right in the ashes of Moon Records. Mm-hmm. With, had they already started releasing stuff before you joined, or did were you in by the time recordings were done? I feel like, I'm not really sure about that, to be honest. Um, and I wasn't on the first Hub City Stompers recording, and I can't remember if that was Megalith or not. So Megalith, I know there was a couple early releases. Did, that ended up kind of folding too, right? Megalith? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. And then you were kind of worked with uh, Stubborn, which is uh, Jeff Baker's record label. Yep. Jeff, he was working with you recording-wise too, right? Yeah, he did. We recorded all um, all those recordings at his house in his studio. Yeah. What was it like to work with Jeff? I already kind of knew him because this this is going to sound like it's inappropriate, but I can assure you it's not. When I was like... <laughs> <laughs> When I was like 19 years old, me and my friend Rose used to like go over to his house and just hang out with him all the time. And like, you know, he was like a night owl because, um, you know, he he's a musician. Um, so we would used to like drag him out of the house and be like, come to this. We, there was a cafe that we used to go to in New Brunswick because we couldn't go anywhere over 21. We were underage. And there was a cafe that was open till 2 a.m. So we'd be like, oh, come to this cafe with us and like eat desserts and, you know, drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and like we would hang out with him all the time. So I already kind of knew him before I started playing in HCS. Um, so it was great, like getting to record with him because, you know, I love him. So uh, it was super, it was fun because, you know, I always appreciate what he has to say for sure. Did he give you any kind of directions that you can recall, you know? Yeah. I mean, he would, um, I, uh, I, I know music theory and, but I know it to forget it. And uh, sometimes when I would do harmony, make up harmonies, he'd be like, yeah, that's not, like it works, but it's not correct. So you might want to try this. And yeah, he would definitely give me some mm-hmm. direction and stuff with harmonies and whatnot and suggestions. I remember when I first recorded Johnny Date Rape, he was like, these words are amazing and people need to hear them, but I can't understand you because you're kind of running your words together a little bit. You need to enunciate more. Mm. Um, and ever since then, I kind of try to enunciate a little bit more when I when I sing, maybe over enunciate sometimes, but I feel like it's necessary. So, okay, so you're in the band, it's like, I don't know, 2003, 2004. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of mentioned that in that in the period where you weren't in a solid band, there was sort of a downturn in ska. Mm-hmm. What was, what? how would you describe it by the time you got a little deeper in the 2000s? I mean, it was, it was still there. It's just, it wasn't as vibrant as it was in the 90s. I mean, that was all, it was a whole different world. You know, people weren't having shows at firehouses anymore. Um, and then there were still basement shows, but there weren't ska bands at them. You know, it was all like punk bands and like, um, you know, kind of hipster indie bands and stuff. Um, so it was a different vibe and we weren't playing like all ska bills anymore. You know, it was, everything was very, every bill was very eclectic because I just don't think that, um, at least locally there was enough going on ska wise to get everybody together. So I think that's, I mean, HCS already doesn't play shows with all ska bands like that. It almost never happens. It's very rare. And I I do attribute that to the fact that our style lends itself to be able to work with other many other bands. But I do wonder sometimes if it's because of the early days, there weren't as many all ska bills like possible. Yeah. I mean, there weren't, you know, the in the in the days before the late 90s, there weren't a lot of all ska bills because of... Mm-hmm. You know, they're just being, you know, only so many ska bands and then the days after as well. And I think I kind of think those are better bills anyways, because it could wear you out hearing four or five ska bands in a row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
Definitely. I went to a, a rockabilly festival once in uh, Boston one time just like to do a road trip. And I remember by the end of it, I was like, I never want to hear a stand-up <laughs> bass again. <laughs> a bunga, 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 bunga. Yep. You slap that bass, I'm going to slap you. That's it. I'm over it. What was going on in New Brunswick in the mid 2000s? You know, there was uh, Hub City Stompers. What? What else? Who else was there? Uh, I. So it's funny. Like we were called Hub City Stompers, but I think at the time I was the only one who actually lived there. By then, oh. everyone had had left. But uh, so we weren't really like a house band of New Brunswick at that point. Uh, but we did play the Court Tavern quite a bit, which was like the main venue in New Brunswick. I think honestly, what was going on a lot when I was living there was like a lot of like weird, um, like indie rock, uh, that I don't really know how else to describe it. Like, like interesting, like garage, like indie rock. That was really what was the thing in, in New Brunswick back then. And like punk, uh, and thrash, there was a band called the degenerate, the degenerates, which to this day is like one of my very favorite bands. And, um, they're just, they're like a, a cool, like hardcore punk band. Um, but yeah, there was definitely no, there was definitely no ska going on back then. <laughs> just, <laughs> there was, there was Hubsity Stompers and there was like, I don't, I don't even remember other ska bands playing back then at the, at the court tavern. It was, it was a lot of punk bands and stuff and, and, uh, oi bands and whatever. Did it feel rough playing ska during that time period? Not really, because I've been, I already was like, I had already been doing it for so long. It kind of felt like coming home, you know? Yeah. I've read and heard that, you know, a lot of, a lot of your audience, you tend to have a, a significant like skinhead and trad ska mm-hmm. audience, even though, you know, your music's pretty diverse. Um, wh- why do you suppose that is? I mean, our music is, our lyrics are pretty skinhead centric. I don't think that that's like a surprise to anybody, um, especially the early work, but um and I, I don't know. I just, I think our, I think it's a carryover too from Inspector Seven, and a lot of our, you know, beats. We do a lot of four on the floor bass drum beats. You know, it's great. It's a great beat for stomping, literally. Um, <laughs> I think that's. I don't know. I mean, that must. Be, I think that's the attraction. And um, as far as like trad ska fans, I would say that that's not entirely true. Like there are a lot that do like us, but there are plenty that really don't. So oh, really? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's debatable. Yeah. You're always going to have your snobs. Like it's, it's always going to be a thing. Some people don't, some people are purists. What are you going to do? You can't make everybody happy. Now, is that sort of like uh trad ska elitist hate? Does that, is that just, that just exist online or have you experienced that at a show? Uh, I don't think I've never really experienced it in person. I've definitely sure. seen it online, but like, you know, everybody hates everything online. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, but I mean, we did, we wrote a, Travis wrote a song about, um, it was called bring back the dorks. And, um, it was about, um, this like wave of, um, like hipster rock steady that was coming out for a while where it sounded like, um, I don't know. It, it was kind of like soulless and sounded like everybody was trying to sound like, um, like Vic, you know, Vic Ruggiero or something. Like we kind of poke fun at that every, you know, cause we poke fun at everything. We poke fun at ourselves. So, <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely like, it's never been, no one's ever been shitty to me directly. And I'm thankful for that, but it would probably not be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have a big mouth. Let's talk about the song that, uh, predated, uh, Bring back the dorks. Uh huh. Scott trained to Dorksville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that song. Uh, well, Travis wrote that one um, because it had. A, I think it had a lot to do with the fact that, like, I think we've had like I don't know 
a lot of people have had these discussions online in recent years because of like um ska punk fans versus trad fans etc yeah but like um when you end up with a lot of well some of the ska punk almost sounds like it's not really actually punk and it's not really actually influenced by ska so it's kind of just a watered down mishmash of both and then you end up with this weird music that you know people i guess we're calling ska punk um and it kind of like took the so you know when the, the first line in the song is take out the soul you know and it's kind of like where did this come from like I, this doesn't come from ska i don't know where this comes from but it's something else so you know it's just poking fun and at the same time like we play with so many you know we did like a tour with voodoo glow skulls and you know we've played many times with a whole bunch of ska punk bands so it's not like we don't dig ska punk many of us do and many of us you know many people would still consider hcs vaguely you know somewhat ska punk so yeah it was just poking fun at um the watering down of the genres at times do you get any backlash for that song not anymore but we definitely used to people were the the internet was not happy about that when that song came out but you know <laughs> listen we i i feel like uh if we kind of a lot of our songs are very like delivered with like tongue firmly planted in cheek and if if you are not able to understand the nuance i guess of some of our lyrics then like maybe we're not the band for you i don't know um but that's yeah that one's always been controversial um i don't think it should be and it was funny because a lot of people afterwards kind of re-embraced the word and they were like oh i'm a proud dork like yeah good for you that's awesome <laughs> like i'm reclaim like reclaim that word do it that's awesome <laughs> so you got like angry dorks online <laughs> yeah, there definitely there definitely were a couple, but yeah, you, know, you have to be able to laugh at yourself too, you know. Sure, yeah, yeah. Do you feel like the difference between like maybe some of the quote unquote ska punk and and what you guys were doing was that the elements you guys were bringing in were more kind of you know kind of true to the specific elements, and then maybe you would do like a ska song, and you do like a punk song, or you know you'd have sections that were very you know very clearly those things uh i think that a lot of us a lot of us do listen to like you know like original punk like old school punk travis is a huge hardcore fan like that's one of his main musical influences is hardcore music like from the 80s so i think that those elements are very prominent and your influences are going to be heard in whatever music you make i don't care what influences you like if 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 it's really in your in your heart it, people are going to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's why it comes from that because all of us are so, I guess, interested in the original music. Um, that's not to say that like anything outside of that is wrong or invalid, but I'm just saying that's where we are coming from. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get that too. I mean, I think like, you know, especially as I've gotten older, you know, you can listen to bands that are doing, you know, that are overtly doing like traditional ska stuff or bands that are like punk rock, but have ska sections. And then you can kind of hear it with ears and like, Oh yeah, those guys actually understand uh, how to do ska in a correct way. And the, that band doesn't, and it doesn't matter if they're like a four piece punk band that jumps into a ska section. You can, you can just hear the difference. Yeah, actually there's that. It's funny that band, the Degenerics, I actually mentioned from new Brunswick, 
they had instrumental punk songs that had like a vague ska influence and you could tell that it was very like oh um like they understood the clash when the clash was doing like reggae songs like they understood ska bands um you can hear it you know you can hear if you listen really hard you can hear a band's influences i think what a lot of the divide comes now with like ska punk currently is that a lot of it is influenced by emo and pop punk yeah and um emo was not my jam i never got into it um i feel like i maybe i aged out of it i don't know because i got very popular when i was a little bit older but um i just it didn't resonate with me so i never really got into it and i was like super into pop punk when i was a teenager but i kind of grew out of it so when i hear a lot of ska punk now um i hear those emo elements and that's not to say that again that's wrong bad or invalid it's not it's just that it's you know, I can clearly tell like that's where you're coming from. And that's not necessarily my flavor, but you know, I never thought I'd hear emo ska before, but like, that's what, <laughs> but honestly, I, you would have never convinced me that that would have been a thing, but I, I hear that definitely. And like a lot of the newer ska punk bands for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the, a lot of the, the people that were younger and kind of grew up a little later, I think, yeah, they were, they were listening to emo and ska in equal measures. Mm -hmm. So it makes a lot of sense that that's kind of how a lot of the, the later bands would evolve. I heard an interview with Jer from Scott two network, and they were saying that uh, they listened to, they went to ska shows and emo shows. Yeah. And when I hear their work, like I hear that, that's yeah. what I hear. You know, it's very present. Yeah. It's, it's weird. My, my own personal taste, like I never liked emo, mm -hmm. but I can, I do like the way that the younger generation mixes emo with ska Mm -hmm. Like for some reason, I, I I like that, even though I didn't like the emo that it came from and I, and I still don't like it, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure what it is. Why, why I like that. It's the horns or the keyboard. It's the horns. I don't know. They need the, the <laughs> keyboard, keyboard sounds great with, uh, with emo, but they never, uh, emo bands don't ever utilize keyboards. They should, because when you hear this ska punk, that sounds, you know, emo influence with the keyboards, like those lush, like thick um organ sounds oh man like emo was missing out years ago they needed organ this whole time yeah <laughs> y'all fucked up <laughs> we'll be right back after this hey everybody it's barry from the what podcast hey it's russ hey it's brian and we are giving away two tickets to bonnaroo 2024 these are ga plus and they include camping russ how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So, Hub City, now was there a period where you guys kind of broke up or went on break for a while? So, um, yeah, it gets a little tricky. So, what we what ended up happening was... At some point, uh, Giuseppe from Inspector 7, who was one of the the original singer of Inspector 7, I guess had been um, wanting to start up the band again. And Travis kind of didn't want to leave us all, like didn't want to like abandon one project for another or whatever. And he was like, there's no way that I'm giving up HCS. We have such a great song catalog. The band's awesome and reliable. Like we need this. So he proposed to us, um, what if we merge the bands? We merge Giuseppe in. We call it Inspector Seven. We merge our song catalogs and perform as Inspector Seven. Hmm. Um, and so that's what we did. We did that for one year exactly. 
and then decided to part ways. And now Inspector 7 is its own independent entity and Hub City Stompers is its own thing. Did it not go well? Um, It didn't go... I think it just didn't go as well as we all would have liked. Um, sure. I'm going to be honest. Like, I didn't... I know that there's a lot of... Um, there's some tense feelings between the two singers, and that's personal between them. Um, but I did not encounter any of that, really, because uh, I feel like Travis was, like, the airbag for anything that went on, any disagreements there. But, yeah, I guess it just... It didn't It didn't end up benefiting us um, in any real way and we were doing just as well as hcs and it just it worked better with you know the old lineup and and that's what we ended up doing just going back to what we did before and we still do play inspector seven songs that travis is responsible for writing so we do still have those in our catalog i see so i'm curious i'd love to get your take on so your hub city stompers is is a band from you know the early 2000s to present and, um, you know, ska's kind of, kind of, you know, there's, there's less ska bands and then there's more ska bands. Now there's a new, new generation of ska bands and it's not, it didn't just happen overnight. Some of these bands have been around for a decade. Mm-hmm. How, how does it look from your point of view? Like, have you seen an, a, a rise in interest in ska? Has it impacted your band? Uh, I, I can't say that it's necessarily impacted our band but i see it in the scene in general and like the buzz online for sure um you know i had a friend of mine tell me my brother knows about cat bite and he doesn't know about scott at all but he knows about cat bite so like mm. um there's definitely been um a huge growth and um and, and a renewed interest i'm not really sure how or why or where it's coming from i'm a little bewildered because it seemed to have come from nowhere but obviously that's how all these things work right they seem to come from nowhere but behind the scenes etc so yeah i just um it there's definitely an increase i mean i see like if you especially with tiktok and everything and social media if you see all these artists and uh, how they do on social media and the response uh, it's just insane so, you know, I'm I'm always glad for it because when it's what's good for other ska bands is good for us, you know. Mm-hmm. When did you start noticing it online? Uh, well, even before online, we played with the Interrupters um a long time ago and um I remember seeing the crowd go insane. And some for some reason we played a ska festival in Vegas and they put us on after the Interrupters and after Voodoo Glow Skulls. <laughs> I don't know who we made angry or who we upset or maybe they think, you know, a little highly of us, but that was a yeah, everybody left. Um <laughs> everyone left after that. <laughs> but like when I saw the Interrupters play, I was like, "Oh my god, like this is I I haven't seen people react this way to a ska band like in a long time. It was huge." Um and, you know, I continued to see it over the years with anything involving the Interrupters. So I feel like the first time we played with them is when I started to see like the trickle, you know what I mean, of the in- of the yeah. of the interest. And then uh you know, I think I feel like um, I've already mentioned them before, but when uh, Scottoon Network started kind of popping up in my my little online stratosphere and I, I always joke around like I'm I'm an old lady. I don't know what's going on. I don't keep up with what the kids are doing. But somehow that popped into my stratosphere. So I was like, oh, like this is a thing people are interested in. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I don't remember exactly when that was, but it's been a few years, I think, when they've really been getting a lot of attention online and it's mm-hmm. been 
Yeah, and I, I think that a lot of people are interested in the covers they do. People who are fans of the bands, not necessarily ska people. Yeah, exactly. And that's been an interesting thing. Yeah, I've been like I've just been noticing it in general. Um, you know, even like the turnout to Supernova. You know, granted, uh, with the COVID restrictions that they put on, um, caused like a good number of people not to go, but it was still pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and you know, years ago, it might not have been that big. So it's palpable. Like I definitely think, and also too, like I also you know credit. Um, there's been really great press about ska lately, like Brooklyn vegans all over it. Um, you know, and people read it, people are into it. So I definitely think there's an excitement around it. Yeah. I, um, I heard that too about supernova that it was like, people were saying that it was, um, kind of different this year. And it, it's hard to tell too. Cause you know, you didn't have it, you know, you didn't have, you don't have live music for a year and a half. You don't have it last year. Of course, everybody's like anxious to go, you know, go go attend concerts and and to celebrate the music they love but at the same time there was also probably growth happening mm-hmm. so you felt that too like i mean i did you go to 2000 what, what would have been 2019 would have been the previous it was um it was actually 2018 and 2017 i was at i was at those two and there was one before that that i did not go to okay was there anything you can describe as different about uh 2021 I don't know. Everybody just seemed so excited and like, you know, supportive and, uh, you know, people really turned out and like showed up as opposed to like sometimes at other festivals, people sleep until noon because they drank too much the night before. But like <laughs> I was there, I was there early every, every day because um, the first day I was there at 11 o'clock in the morning because I played with the opening band that day. I played a, a couple songs with Mr. Kingpin. So I was there early and there were people there. There were people there hanging out. Um, I came early on uh, the day of, on what day was it? On Saturday, because I think I, I made a point to see out of all the 16 girls, I made a point to see every set of every girl that was in the band. Um, so I came early to make sure to see 13 Towers set on Saturday and people were there. Like people showed up. And they stayed, like they stayed till the end. Like, I, I don't think I've ever been to a music festival where there were that many people from beginning to end that didn't tap out. <laughs> like people committed. Even I committed. <laughs> I sprayed my ankle. I was on crutches the, the last day. Oh, yeah. I was on, I was there, to, I was there through Hepcat until the end. <laughs> How do you sprain your ankle? Oh God. I, I, uh, I stepped in like a, a little divot, um, in a parking lot in Waffle House of all places. Oh man. Um, so the running joke all weekend was like free grits for life. I'm suing Waffle House, <laughs> um, which would do me no good because there are none in New Jersey. So I can't even really benefit from that, but yeah, I'm fine now. But the day, the day that it happened, um, I, uh, the organizers, uh, Tim and April were kind enough to procure me uh, a pair of crutches to borrow. So I could still go to the show and hang. I played on on stage on crutches too. I had to sit down. Wow. <laughs> now I'm not a big festival fan, but uh, and I, I would I would have gone to Supernova if, if it was closer to me because that's on the other side of the country. But I've heard people tell me that oh, even if you don't like festivals, uh, Supernova is great because it doesn't feel like a festival. It feels like a family reunion, or you know, it just has a different vibe to it. It really does. It's so strange because I've played a bunch of festivals like over the years. And I don't know, I just because Tim and April really like take care of the bands. They're so wonderful. And, um, you know, you're getting you're getting to see all these people you haven't seen in forever. It really does. Like it feels like a family reunion. It's 
and, and it's rare that we get to play with so many ska bands all at once. Um, so yeah, it's like the office Christmas party, like all your peers. <laughs> you have a song, um, hard place to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you shot a video for it. This was like 2018, I think. Right. Uh, around then. Yeah. Maybe a little earlier in the center panel. There's, um, a woman, I can't remember how to pronounce her name. Hiromi. She's, she's, um, she's famous for making dance videos, right? That that's correct. She's amazing. Yeah. She's from New York. Is she? Yeah, she's she's she goes to our shows all the time. Oh, um, we used to see her dancing at our shows, and I'd go, "That girl's a really good dancer." She would always be up front dancing. Yeah, but she's uh, yeah, she lives in New York. Oh wow! So that's how that's how you connected with her then. Yeah, I, I already knew her. Um, actually, the guy. So we were working with Altercation Records at the time, and um, a New York based label, and he actually reached out to her for that video. We did. I don't. Um, and we were obviously with it because we we already know her and she comes you know to see us play all the time so yeah that was really awesome to get to have her in our video um because she's a great dancer i you know what i used to subscribe to her patreon gotta learn oh, yeah. all the dance moves oh yeah she's got a great <laughs> patreon she's got dance workouts that's fr- free advertisement for hiromi's uh dance lessons nice yeah i don't know what it is i'm not i'm not like a big like watch someone dance person mm-hmm. but just she's so good it's just yeah (laughs) so you joined um when did you join rude boy george uh i think it was 20 it was so i think i was i remember it was like christmas eve in like 2017 and i was we were were driving to my dad's house and i got an email from roger and mark and they were like hey um we wanted to know if you and rob wanted to be in the band and i was saying to, to rob my husband i'm going we can't do this, can we? Like, do we have time? No, I can't do this. I'm not a lead singer. And he goes, why can't you? And I was like, okay, so we'll do that. Um, and I've known Roger and Mark for forever, for years. Um, and and my husband, Rob, who's also the guitar player in Hub City Stompers, um, he was in Bigger Thomas with Mark Wasserman and Roger um, for, you know, since like the 90s. He played with them, so he's known them forever. So, yeah, I was just really surprised and delighted to get the invitation and um, because I love all those new wave songs. And uh, so, yeah, come 2018, we started practicing. And that's Mm. when I officially um, I think Supernova 2018 was our first show with with the current lineup. Wow. Explain for people who are listening who maybe never heard of Rude Boy George what what the concept is. Uh, It is new wave 80s songs reimagined into ska and reggae. And perfect, perfect for fans of both genres. Oh my God. It's so much fun. And, um, we, we really get a great response from like people who were in their twenties during the eighties and really enjoyed these, these songs. Like we, and people, you know, young people know these songs too. So like, I don't know, it's a really, it's a big people pleaser. We get to do really fun gigs that like, you know, I might not get to do otherwise in like other ska bands, you know, we get to, we got to play some weird, um, like a private birthday party, um, we got to play like a, a theater patron uh, party, like the all the people who give money to this theater in Pennsylvania. Uh, they had a party for them to thank them, and we were the band. Like, oh, yeah! So we had nice. to do some fun. We had to do some fun stuff because people love these songs. Everybody knows these songs, and then we kind of you know add a different groove to them. So you know you can kind of swing your hips to them a little bit. Yeah, I'm gonna say. Let's see, my favorite songs, at least based off of your recordings, only you. That's a Yaz mm-hmm. song. Yes. And uh, Lies. I like your version of Lies, the Thompson Twins song. 
Oh, awesome. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's a newer one. And um, I we just that that's on our most recent recording. I love that rendition. And I, the best part about it was when I was telling my stepson, he's 19, I was telling him about I was listening to it. And he goes, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh, I'm thinking we're going to turn this song into a ska song. And I had him watch the video on YouTube with me. And he was, have you seen that video? Are you familiar with it? I haven't seen it recently. I'm sure I've seen it. Describe it. it. It's really like the special effects are, they're really terrible. Um, <laughs> I don't know any other way to describe it. Whoever's listening to this, go watch Lies by the Thompson Twins, um, the video. It's it's bad, you know, considering the technology we have now, but it's pretty funny. It's amusing. He was so, he got such a kick out of it. But yeah, so that's a good one. I'm so glad you enjoyed that. We don't play Only You very much live, mm. um, but we get a good response out of that. So maybe we have to work that back into set list. What, yeah, what are, what's like a, what are some of the songs that really get the crowd going? Um, people love Sweet Dreams. Okay, um, yeah. I mean, that's a, everybody knows that one, so that's a good one. Um, people really like uh, uh, Tainted Love. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, because everybody knows it. That one, that's a good one, too, because it's like, it's sound, that one lends itself because it's kind of got a bounce to it already, yeah. Definitely. I'm looking at your list right now, and Eyes Without a Face, that's a, that's a great choice for a billy Idol oh, song. yeah that one's really fun to play too now was rude boy george the the band that played with the guy from sunseed yes yes we did his name is sal how was that oh so sal is an amazing guy very talented bass player total like true professional through and through um i can't remember how we got linked up with him but, oh, okay, now I remember. We were playing Specialized uh, Ska Festival in England um, in 2018, and they had had him there before and had, like, a, a band play with him to play Jesus is a Friend of Mine, and people went crazy for it, apparently. Yeah. So they said, oh, you know, he's from New York. You guys should practice with him and, uh, you know, see if you can play it when we when you guys come out here. So we met up with him. He's a super nice guy, very like laid back, um, great sense of humor. Uh, and he told us the whole story about that recording and it's fascinating. Um, I don't, I'm not going to take up too much time on it because I really feel like, I don't know if you guys could do a whole interview on him, but I love, I love hearing him tell it, but he was, um, it, that recording is from like some like CBS, like, um, like religious hour or whatever. And um, they were a, they were paying attention to Sunseed because they were a Catholic band, and apparently there weren't a lot of Catholic bands. They were all like um, like Baptist and gospel groups, so having like a Catholic rock band was like a big deal. So he had written that song, "Jesus Is a Friend of Mine," after listening to um, "Too Much Pressure" from the Selector. He heard that on the radio, and then he wrote "Jesus Is a Friend of Mine" based off of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's I love that. Uh, yeah, and, and he said, uh, and the blue suits, they were like, well, blue looks good on TV. Wear blue. So that's, why <laughs> <laughs> that's why they're all wearing blue. But we, uh, Rude Boy George recorded a version of that with him. We have it somewhere. I don't know what's going to happen to it or when it's ever going to come out or what. I don't know. But we propositioned Mephiscopheles to do Satan as a friend of mine, and they declined. <laughs> we wanted to have them do the B-side. But um yeah, so we do. It's out there. We have it. I just don't know what we're going to do with it. Mephiscopheles, if you're listening, please reconsider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, we talked to Mark, I think, uh, when we interviewed him about that. And it sounded like it was in the can. And I thought it was coming out any time. But no, so 
you don't know when it's coming out. Yeah, I really don't know what we're doing with it. I think we have to figure it out because, you know, I don't remember exactly what we were supposed to do with it. Rude Boy George is a band where, like, all of us have something else kind of going on in that band. So we're always kind of, um, it's always a big to-do to, like, get us together for a show or practice, like... It's always a big thing. So I think that's why we haven't figured out what to do with it yet because we've all got our own stuff going on, you know, with Mark's book and Roger owns a brewery and I'm in like five other bands. So that's what's been going on. I see. What are your five other bands? <laughs> Not five <laughs> other bands. No, because I uh, Rude Girl Review uh, and then I'm also, in, you know, Rude Boy George and Hub City Stompers. But um, in Ruth Rude Girl Review, uh, we we are making plans to do more, to to write more. Um, so yeah, that's what's coming up. I can't, there's, we already have another song recorded. Um, mm. it's, it's done. It's ready in the can. It's coming out on a comp. I can't say anything else though. Oh, okay. It's not been, it's not been, um, announced yet, but yeah, there's going to be, there's more. So we're still in the, that's a lot of work. We're still in like the, the preliminary phase of like how are we going to work this out how are we going to play shows how are we going to practice blah 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 so oh well, you know there was one one question about the band i forgot to mention um so wasn't the original idea to call the band the supernovas yeah um we did actually <laughs> consider that because we were like oh it'll only be for supernova but then as it got going and as we put more work in i was like I don't want to just do this once, you know, I don't want to just be attached to the festival in that way. Like as much as I'm grateful for the opportunity to have a reason to do this, I don't want it to be like owned by supernova necessarily. You know what I mean? I want to be able to, I want to be able to play other festivals. So that's why we decided to kind of branch out, but that's, it was going to, we were originally thinking that, and that's why our logo is like an alien girl. Cause it was going to be all like supernova centric, <laughs> But I love her, so we're just going to keep her because she's adorable. Yeah, just keep the alien girl. Yeah. <laughs> I named her Rhonda. Huh. That's a good name. Yeah. I, I just think that um, Rude Girl Review should consider covering that lit song. Oh, no. <laughs> Not going to happen. I've been traumatized. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do that guitar riff over and upbeat. It's going to be very awkward. <laughs> Yeah. Oh no! What if that part was done by the horns? Yeah, there you go. I don't think I can do it. (laughs) Someone else can do that arrangement. I can't be responsible for that one. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Ska. If you've enjoyed this episode please like and subscribe to the show wherever you normally download podcasts. If you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, In Defense of Ska, available at clashbooks.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at In Defense of Ska. You can also sign up for my newsletter at aaroncarns.substack.com. You will get the podcast sent directly to your inbox every Wednesday. In Defense of Ska would not be possible without the great team that tirelessly works on it every week. So you should go check out their other projects as well. Co-host Adam Davis has a great band called Omnigon. Give them a follow on Instagram. It's simply at Omnigon. And our editor, Chris Reeves, has a phenomenal record label and podcast called 
Ska Punk International. For more information, go to skapunkinternational.com. And on that note, we leave you by saying Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.